message titled, The One and Only Promise Keeper. And uh, we're trekking through the book of Hebrews. And before we read, um, I want to reiterate something that I was reminded of, and I mentioned it in one of the services on Sunday. Um, somebody stopped me out there in the world and, and said, Pastor Jack, uh, I want you to know that you, uh, you're, you, you doing Hebrews on Wednesday nights. Somebody from uh, your church told me, hey, you're a Catholic. Pastor Jack said that we need to tell Catholics to tune in and listen to the book of Hebrews on Wednesday nights because we're talking about uh, priest, the priesthood and the ultimate priesthood. And, um, and you did that. You told people. And uh, some have been attending and the beautiful thing about that is, is what this man said. He said, you know, I started listening, and then I started listening. I was listening more, and then I started coming on Wednesday nights. And he, he, he was delighted to communicate to me that uh, he now knows that he has one priest, and that's the high priest, Christ Jesus. And that's, that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. So you guys will read together in uh, Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, familiar territory, I'll read verse 13, if you guys would pick it up. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, that is all who believe, the immutability of his counsel, the unchangeableness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. Father God, move, we pray, Lord, in our hearts. God, when we leave here today, may our faith be uh, enlarged. May our reverence for the Bible be greater. And Father, may we be more surrendered. Greatest, greatest thing to ever experience is a greater surrendering to the will of God. And, and Lord, that we might just see you live your life through us. That's what we want. We ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I want to remind all of you again that if any of these messages, because you guys are making such a huge impact, if, if any of these messages, and I, and I trust that if anything speaks to you, any verse, how about that? I'm trying to be nice to you because in my heart I want to say, tell them to do it. <laughs> that is this, that if you would take uh, these messages and that you would take the link that's provided and copy, remember what we're saying on Sundays? Copy it and send it to somebody that you know on your email list or, t or 10 people. And we've been practicing this for about a month or so and you guys have turned into global evangelists because what you've done is that you on your email page, you've taken the message with the link, you've simply taken the link and you've sent it to your friends, to your uh, co-workers. Uh, no joke, a guy told me that he has an email group of businessmen and they're predominantly here in the US but it's around 1200 people and he started sending the messages to those 1200 corporate leaders and uh, if I name some of those companies you probably spent money at those companies this week so that's pretty amazing so God is getting the word out and now we've learned just recently that uh, whoever the, I, won't, I don't know, I don't remember his name, so I can't even say his name, but whoever is in a high command at uh, Nellis Air Force Base, I think it's Nellis, what's the one by Vegas? That's Nellis? Uh, that there's a Bible study going on on that air base, and uh, they're watching our messages. And I want to thank you for that. That's amazing. 
So we're looking at the one and only promise keeper. This is what we've known or come to learn thus far, that in verses 13 to 14, that when we read this portion of scripture, he's the one and only promise keeper, Jesus is, God is, uh, is because he, he has bound himself to himself. And we saw that in two ways. Remember this, that God can be dependent upon what he says is what he will always say. You can have confidence in him. We learned also that what he does, he's going to always do. You know, somebody, and I get it, somebody has said, you know, God deals in mysterious ways. He moves. That's true, but it doesn't have to be that way always. God, how about this? God reserves the right to move any way he wants to move. Uh, But there are some things about him that is just sweetly predictable. For example, if you're a believer and you're doing the wrong thing, God will get your attention because he loves you. He's the perfect parent. If you're doing the right thing, he will bless you because he blesses obedience. He encourages good behavior. How's that? And um, that's part of his dependable nature. Secondly, we saw that he has set the times for himself. That God is the governor of times and the timing of things. And in our last time together last week, we talked about some of those uh, things about his faithfulness in prayer. Remember we talked about when, when God, when we're praying and seeking his face, uh, there's times when God doesn't apparently seem to answer. Uh, but there's security and safety uh, when he doesn't answer. It doesn't mean he's silent to you. He's doing a work. In fact, we looked at verse 15 that when God goes to work, he works a work. Man, when God goes to work in your life, he rolls up his sleeves. Uh, A.W. Tozer, you've heard me say this before. A.W. Tozer said that when you invite Christ into your life, um, oh, C.S. Lewis, I'm sorry, C.S. Lewis said that when you invite Christ into your life, he's like a dentist. You go to a dentist for, for a toothache right here. You know, like number three is, is hurting. And um, do you think that that dentist just focuses on number three? No, in fact, C.S. Lewis says, nope, that doctor's committed to not let sleeping dogs lie. He said he will, he will probe and poke and push to make sure everything's working just right before he ever goes to work on number three. And uh, that's true. It is Tozer that says there's times when God goes to work and he grabs uh, a tooth and he yanks on it, root and all. And that's a pretty gross picture. But when God goes to work, he does the work. He's real. We're here tonight because God's alive. He's real. We're not doing church. That would be a joke. We got better things to do. We're here tonight because God is real. His Bible is real. And um, while, listen, he's on his throne and we're still here on earth. And that then presupposes that God's got a plan uh, for your life. You just need to make that clean assumption right from the get-go. God, what do you want to do with my life? I'm still breathing. What do you want to do? And when he does that work, we learn that he finishes it. And this is where we left off. He finishes the work in verse 16. And so as we prepare for this, as we look at it, mark this down, please. Our security, our our assurance is in the finished work of Christ. Mark this down in your note-taking. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 says, and it's Peter speaking, by the way. Oh, by the way, I should say this. Um... When he said this and where he said this, we know exactly. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because we're about to just announce to you the dates for our our upcoming Israel trip. And we're going to give you the dates, and that's all you're going to get right now is the dates, because some things are still being worked out. But having said that, I will not go to Israel unless we have this stop on the tour. We're just not going to go. Why? Well, it happened, this message that you're about to see here was the message that was delivered uh, in Israel at the Southern Steps. And when Neil Armstrong, who th- was the first man to step on the moon, that when he became a Christian and he took a tour in Israel, he asked his tour guide, uh, I want to know... Out of all the places that we've been, or we're supposed to go, I want to know, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that this is in fact the spot, or a spot, that Jesus actually stood. 
because some of the spots are where things took place, some of it's still being dug up in an archaeological sense, uh, and so he wanted to say, I, w- I, I, want, I, wanted, I want to be able to say, I not only stood on the moon, I stood where Jesus stood. And so his tour guide said, then get in the car, let's go. And where did the tour guide take him? Where we take you on a tour of Israel, the southern steps. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered, watch this, being delivered by the predetermined or by the determined purpose. Some of your Bibles read predetermined. Why does it say that? Because the next word is foreknowledge of God. By the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. In other words, verse 23, God had a specific plan. You have taken by your lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. That's an amazing statement, verse 3. Because God had a plan, but they were guilty of crucifying the Son of God. You see, didn't, did God make them do it? No, he didn't make them do it. He knew by his foreknowledge what they would do if given a chance to meet God in human skin. They would crucify him. God knew that, all based on foreknowledge. You've all read the word predestination in your Bible, book of Ephesians, Romans, of course. But predestination is based upon God's foreknowledge. You have taken by your lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you. This is Peter preaching. Of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years ago, in fact, for, for millennia, actually not in... Not too long ago, David's tomb uh, is identified. People say they know where it is today. I'm not exactly sure that's the right one, but be it as it may, Peter points out to that fact that he is both dead and buried. So think of that. David, the one who received so many promises from God. One of the promises that David received from God was that, his, that David's throne would last forever. Now you've got to stop for a moment, people. God said in the prophecies, and God said to David, your throne I will establish forever. Mm, really? Yes. Well, where is it? It's coming. It's coming. In fact, for David's throne to be established, one has to come to establish it. And once that one comes to establishes it, listen... That one is the king of kings and lord of lords, but when you read, not but, but in continuance to that, when you read Ezekiel chapter 40 on to the end of Ezekiel, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords, but there's going to be a prince that sits on his throne in Jerusalem. And you wonder, who is that prince? Who's the prince? And you might might say or assume it's Jesus. No, 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 he's the king. Who's the prince? The one that was prophesied that would sit on the throne. It's David. David's going to be the prince of Jerusalem while Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's going to be awesome. Anyway, that's a study for some other time, but that's a fun one, I'll tell you that. And so, uh, therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that's David, that of the fruit of his body... According to the flesh, his DNA, he would raise up the Christ, the Messiah, to sit on his throne. See that? Everybody, that's a huge deal. Jesus Christ, a lot of people preaching all kinds of Jesuses all over the place. Well, the only one Jesus that there is, is the one that has to return to earth to sit upon the throne of David. Right now, Jesus is enthroned in heaven. For a thousand years, Jesus Christ will sit upon the throne of David. And David will be his prince. Jesus must occupy the throne of David because Jesus is the DNA of, of, of David. But he's the Messiah, which means from the Old Testament that he also has to be God. The God-man, Jesus Christ. Born on Christmas Day, we would say, right? And so, David, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ. 
that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. David said this. This Jesus God has raised up of which we were all witnesses. Isn't that an amazing statement? Peter's announcing, hey, David spoke about resurrection and he spoke about the Messiah being resurrected. That's in the Old Testament. When Paul and Peter and the rest preached the gospel, do you remember everybody? They didn't have an Apple. They didn't have a, they didn't have a, a Android. They didn't have a New Testament. They preached Christ resurrected from the dead from the Old Testament. And people today, it happened again this week, pastors so-called saying that we have no need for the Old Testament. I Listen, that is demonic. That is, that's a false teacher. And run. You have no clue if your New Testament's true without knowing what the Old Testament has promised. When the Old Testament made a promise, the New Testament recorded its fulfillment. But if you don't study the Old Testament and see what was fulfilled in the New, listen, you're running on four cylinders, man, on a V8. You're messed up. But when pastors come out and say, you don't need the Old Testament, that is wrong. I'm sorry for their ignorance of the Bible, but they shouldn't project that ignorance upon other people. That's a terrible thing. And I'm sorry, it gets me fired up. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. All of this is because of our assurance and the fact that God, when he starts a work, he finishes a work. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 starts there. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. What is that, Paul? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Old Testament. And that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Now Paul knew that Christ had been crucified. And Paul came to know factually that Christ had risen from the dead. But notice, he doesn't say that. Listen, I need everybody's attention. He's not saying, I, Paul, I saw Jesus. I talked to Jesus. So thus, he must be risen from the dead. And he told me he died for my sins. And so I want you to hear me. Paul doesn't do that. Paul says, this is what I want you to hear. That Christ died and rose again from the dead, not according to Paul, not according to Jack, not according to Roy, not according to any one of you, not according to us, but according to the scriptures. He's the God who can be relied upon. Matthew chapter 21, verse 4. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the prophet, saying... And you hear that over and over again. By the way, I know that this church is uh, astute on Bible prophecy. You know, you look at the book of Matthew. You ought to try reading the book of Matthew through Jewish eyes and think about the tribulation period. Because when the tribulation comes and there's Jews coming to know Christ, you read Matthew. You know, Matt, Anybody know Matthew's last name? Levi. Or in Israel, Levi. Levi. Matthew Levi. He's a Jew. And just think about the future. When Israel is in the tribulation period and they start looking at the Bible and they, they well, let's, let's try it. Let's, what do we got to lose? Let's jump over there to that New Testament and see what those people were all about. And they start reading the first book. It's written to Jews. And they're going to say, boy, why didn't we pay attention sooner? But God's going to use them, those who will believe. But in the face of all of this, friends, listen, you and I suffer so many things when we fail to rest in God's assured word in our lives. It shouldn't be that way. And the reason why is because you and I often fail to find ourselves in the right place where God puts us. When I say the right place, I don't mean in what city, zip code, or where you're at right now. I'm talking about your position in Christ right now. I'm wondering if, if, what would become of us if we, if we either, A, God showed us our actual standing before him. Do you know what I mean by standing? Um, position is a word that you could use theologically, but I know how you see you, I assume, because I know how I see me. I, and have we come to the agreement that uh, we're usually wrong? We, we, number one, we either exalt ourselves and we're, and we're nuts or, or we beat ourselves up and make us, make us nothing. 
and, and we're equally crazy in the opposite direction. Did you know that God sees you um, with, with absolute uh, reflection and assurance of his son all over your life? Yeah, but... No, no, God doesn't know about those. Don't, no, no, yeah, but... I've just been carrying this burden all my life. Dump it. Get away from it. Why? Because God doesn't see you that way. You're in Christ. There's been a transformation in your life. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible says, As it is written, watch this, Be holy, for I am holy. See, Jack, that's not helping. Well, it depends on how you read it. Watch this. Be holy, for I am holy. Listen, we hear it this way. Be holy, because I'm holy. So be holy. Grab yourself by the bootstraps and, and get it, get going. Mm, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, be holy, for I am holy. How about this? Because I'm holy, and you believe in me, Jesus is saying, the Bible is saying, God is saying, you're holy. Amen. Thank you. Be holy. Go out there and live your life. Why? Live it for me, because I'm in you. Amen. So you go now. You have a great time. Amen. Thank you. Galatians chapter 2. Here's the reason. Verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Do you realize if you believe that right now, your life's going to change tonight, Christian? Well, it's changed, already changed. I'm, not, I'm talking big change. Wait, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's right. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's right. Colossians 3, verse 1. Colossians 3, 1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, see the moment you put your faith in Christ, that day that you got saved, you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Oh, man. You see why we want him to come back? Oh, if we knew the glory that awaits us. Isn't it funny? The world is seeking glory, all kinds of glory all the time. I get it. We were all doing that stuff, too, before in our way, in our way some shape or form. Man, when Christ comes back the fullness of Jesus and all of his glory will be completely, literally, our experience. We will become like him. It does not yet appear what we will be like, children, First John says, but we know this, that when he appears, we will be like him. Man, that is going to be so great. It's going to be great. But we can be certain of this position. We can be certain of this forever. And here's why. I'm going to go fast. Isaiah 45, verse 21. Watch this and be confident in these things. God says, tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient times? So God is like challenging everybody. What are you guys talking about? What do you know? Who has told it from that time? And he's rebuking. Have not I the Lord, and there is no other God besides me? A just God and a Savior? There is none besides me. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. Listen, that is to cause you to have confidence in Him. Notice what He's saying so strong. I'm your Savior. Look to me. Can you look to Him? Tonight, maybe, listen, maybe you... Can you look to Him? Have you ever not looked? Well, what do I do? Look to him. Somebody once said, uh, how much does it cost to look? What do you have to do to look? Just look. Look to him. Well, well, what's what's the trick? Look. What's going to happen? You're not going to know until you look. Look to him. Awesome. Awesome. 
Beautiful. Isaiah 46, verse 9. Remember the former things of old, for I am God. The beautiful thing is he's saying, remember the former things of old. Well, I can't, God, unless you touch my memory. I mean, I can go as far back as Moses gives me Genesis, or maybe Isaiah 14 or Ezekiel Ezekiel 28. That's going pretty far back into the angelic realm prior to our physical creation, but how far back do you mean? See, the point is we can't go back far enough. God is further. <laughs> remember the former things of old. God, I, I try to remember the last 65 so years, and uh, not only can I not go back so far, I forgot what happened yesterday. <laughs> he says, well, for I am God and there's no other. I am God. And there's none like me. I love this. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. You can trust them. Isaiah 45, 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you. Though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. And if, and if that is not comforting enough, listen to the verbiage. Listen to the doctrine. We jump from Old Testament to New. John thirteen nineteen. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am He. That's Jesus speaking. John 14, 29, Jesus said, And now I have told you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe. Notice that believing and believing that He is the One, the I Am, the He, matters. God is so trustworthy, friends, that He even exalts his word above his own name. And you've heard this verse before from this pulpit. Psalm 138, verse 2, God says, For you have magnified your word above all your name. God's word. I think that's why we're seeing an attack against the Bible from pulpits today. Satan has commandeered pulpits. There's an old book. It was written many years ago. I think I'm going to read it again. I've got to go find it. But it's, the book is titled, uh, Predators in the Pulpit. And it's got to be 15 years old, I'm guessing. I don't, can't even tell you who the author is. Predators in the Pulpit. Like never before. Undermining the authority of Christ. Undermining the Bible. Undermining what God has said. The third and final uh, point that we'll look at in this. That may not be true. Is it true? It it is true. Begins uh, in verse 17, and that is the one and only promise keeper cannot change himself. He cannot change himself. Verse 17 tells us, For thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. Put Put your initials there, please, if you're born again. Verse 17, can you put your name right there? You are one of the heirs of promise. Are you looking to Jesus to take your soul and your spirit and to resurrect your body into heaven? Then you can put your name, you can just put your initials right there. That's, that's, I'm one of those heirs. You say, Pastor you, don't, Pastor, you don't know how poor I am. I don't care how poor you are. Technically, in this world, we're all equally poor. You think people got stuff? They ain't got nothing. Look, with just us here right now, I'm going to give you a prayer request. So there's a guy trying to set up an opportunity for me to share the gospel with Elon Musk. So please, watch. So please pray, because what is, what is it worth being, who cares, what does it matter if you're the richest man on earth? Jesus said, and I'm going to give him this verse if I get the chance. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the entire world? And loses his own soul. What does it matter? 
Jesus warned that there's a man, he, he gave it in a parable, that the man looked around and saw all of his wealth and all the stuff he had, and he said, you know what I need to do? I know what I need to do. I need to build a bigger barn so I can put all my stuff in it. And Jesus says, that man was a fool because that very night his soul would be required from him. Wow. No, look what he wants. He wants you to have these promises, abundantly so, and how can we receive this? Jack, how can we believe this? Because he's immutable. He can't change. It's impossible for God to change. He can't, as I mentioned before, it's impossible for God to transition. And somebody chuckled last week when I said that. Because the word's been stolen. Transition. The word has been stolen. But let's use it. Right? God can't transition. Oh, there's something God can't do? There's so many things he cannot do, thank God. And one of them is he can't change. Number one, he doesn't need to change. But he can't transition. He's not a moving target. Those of you who might be here, those of you who might be watching, uh, a Muslim or, you believe, or you're of the Islamic faith, a Muslim, friends, listen, if you have Muslim friends, you need to love on them and point them to the real Jesus. Because listen, they have no assurance of salvation. It is a heavy load to be a Muslim. My, my heart goes out to them. It's tough. Because they never know if they're good enough. They, they never know if they've met the standard to give them assurance of salvation. Did you know that? They have no comfort. And that's a terrible way to live. The Word of God has given us God's promises that we might be comforted in this brutal world. And that's just the brutal world of our own soul. Without Christ, we're like a turbulent sea. But Jesus comes and says, Peace, be still. And he's, he's awesome. But verse 17 tells us to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. The word abundantly means what you might think it means, to abound all the more, excessive. The word actually can be translated extravagant. To show more extravagantly to the heirs of promise. Christian, God wants you to know his security extravagantly so. When these truths get in our lives, they'll transform who we are into what we really are before the throne of God. God sees us a different way. I've told you before, I'll say it again. He sees us through the glasses or the, 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 the lens of Jesus. He sees Jesus. God sees Jesus before he sees me. And I'm not going to mess with this Bible. I'm going to enjoy that. Can you handle this? Zephaniah 3.17. Again, you've heard this before. The Lord your God in the midst of you. Now, this is a promise to Israel. There's no doubt about it. But then, listen, I can also argue God's not a respecter of persons, is he? And all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. So when we get to heaven, what's that going to be like? Or when he returns in the second coming and we return with him and he sets up his kingdom, is this when he's going to do this? Zephaniah 3.17, are you kidding me? The Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice. The word rejoice means that he uh, he will not only sing... But he will, the word means to spin. He will twirl. He will spin. We don't do that here. But, and, that's, and I'm not encouraging you to do that here. But it's, it's, a, it's a display of extravagance. That God, imagine when, 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 God, when, when God has you there with him and, and we're together. The family's together. The forever family. Some of you might find that too, this verse irreverent. I want you to meditate. If you're bothered by this verse, study it really well. Unpack every one of those words and you'll be delighted. Because God can't change. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, For all the promises of God are yes and amen 
to the glory of God through us. So think of that. This is a Jew, Paul, speaking to a bunch of Gentiles in Greece. And he's telling them, hey, you guys can rejoice because the promises God gave to Israel, they're available to you too. Come by faith. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. What an amazing statement. He's confirmed this. More verses. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie. That's a sweet way of putting it. Translation, every man's a liar. That's what it means. And then the women are saying, I knew it. I knew it all along. And that goes for you too. You're, you may be cuter than us, but you're liars. We're liars. You're li- we're all liars. None, none of us ever accurately reported the size of that fish we caught. God says, nope. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent, as he has said, I And will he not do it? In other words, God keeps his word. Malachi 3, verse 6. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Awesome. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same, you know it, yesterday, today, and forever. Isn't that good news? I can't, I can't say that verse. The, first, the next verse that comes into my mind after that is John 8, where the woman's caught in the act of adultery. Jesus doesn't change. So have you committed adultery? Uh, no, um, I'm not going to raise my hand here, Pastor. No, I'm not going to. Well, guess what? Repent. Because you know what? He'll receive you. Amen. Agree with him that it was the wrong thing to do, that you sinned against God. And he'll forgive you. Did you tell a lie? Tell him. And he'll forgive you. But understand this. For the Christian, you and I ask him to forgive us to maintain fellowship. If you've never accepted Christ, it's for you to tell him those things, recognizing that he's the Savior who forgives sins. That's how you experience his forgiveness, is coming to him and agreeing with him. You're the Savior, and I'm the one who's lost. And I ask you to save me. I ask you to come into me and wash me clean. And that same Jesus that forgave that woman who was caught in the act of adultery is the same Jesus today. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Therefore know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love Him and keep His commandments. One thing I want to say about this. You ought to grab onto that verse. Because some people have been taught wrong about generational curses. Have you heard this? Generational curses. Listen. Everybody, according to the Bible, every one of us is is under a generational curse without Christ. Did you know that? Read your Bible carefully. Every single one of us will sin like our fathers and our mothers sinned because they sinned like our grandparents and and they sinned like our great-great-grandparents. Are you hearing me? All the way back to Adam and Eve. It's in us. Oh, listen... I, I, my, my life is doomed. I come from a long line of, of whatever, fill in the blank. No, 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 no. You want to, listen, there's no generational curse. It means that sin sticks until you decide to break the cycle. Well, I come from a long line of idiots. I guess I'm going to just produce idiots, and I guess I am one. Stop guessing like that and stop goofing around like that. You may be here tonight saying, Pastor, I come from a long line of serial killers and I'm afraid I'm going to become one. Well, don't! Here's how. Come to Christ. Give your life to Christ. Listen, I know this sounds crazy, but the Bible says the person that sins the most and comes to Christ is forgiven the most. That person winds up loving God the most. How's that? 
You, there's no excuse he's going to accept. You don't have one. Yeah, but um, nope, doesn't work. I'm so bad. Oh, stop flattering yourself. <laughs> His blood is able to wash away everything that you could ever think up or do. Ezra 3, verse 11. Ezra 3, 11. And they sang responsibly, the congregation did, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he's good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now that's what Israel did. You and I, listen, the foundation has been laid in our lives and it's not a building. Thank God. Can you imagine you guys? Are you, are you still with me? Thank God we don't have to make a pilgrimage someplace to go see some temple or walk inside, touch its stones. So, oh, I've, I've been there. I got a picture. I got a selfie there. Look, oh, oh man. Oh, you went there? Wow. Well, you know, do you remember some year? Do you remember in the year 1999 uh, at New Year's going into 2000? Did you know that if you went to Rome? I went there, but not for that. Uh, when, if you went to Rome, it was only, it was, it was, uh, only for a brief period of time. There was a special momentary dispensation granted by the Pope. Do you remember this? That he, was, he gave permission that if you went through uh, these particular doors in Rome, you got salvation. Now, I'm not kidding. In the year 2000. I am so grateful that there is no Vatican, that there is no temple, there's, there's, no, there's no church... There's no place where, you, where we go and we, have to, we, we, we kiss the toe or, or we, we bow or we have to do this or you, you know what I'm saying? There's nothing like that. God has seen fit in this age since Christ died and rose again from the dead to dwell within the lives of any or all who would put their trust in him. You become the temple. You become the dwelling place of God. And he's, and listen, he said, well, that's pretty radical because wouldn't we be able to, no, listen, I'll give you a little, little bit of a tip here. The more you consume of Jesus and walk in the spirit, the more Christ takes control. Amen. And then listen, until you have grown to what he has determined for you to grow, you're going to continue to grow and be more like Jesus. And then when your body can't handle that anymore, that's when you die. Did you know that when the Christian dies, his body looks pathetic, but it's graduation day for his spirit. Yeah. Say, man, look at him. Oh my gosh, Jack just got hit by a truck. He's, he's in 10 pieces. I just graduated. You should have a party. I tell you what, man, down in the South, we don't do it right. We don't do it here. Down in the South, number one, we're too white for one thing. Because you go down south to a funeral, and let me tell you, if Brother James died or Aunt, if Aunt Susie died, the, the, listen, the black community who loves Jesus, you, listen, they know how to celebrate a Christian's life when they pass. There is singing they are dancing, they're going down the street, worshiping God out loud, they're talking about their brother having crossed over Jordan. I mean, you're like, you. If, listen, if you've never seen that, you're missing it, man. We have a few, oh, our, our, we miss our brother. It's horrible. It's so horrible. What's horrible? What's so, was he a Christian? Yes, yes. Yes, he was. It's so horrible. What's so horrible? Well, it's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> tell me, it's all about him today, so tell me what's so horrible. Well, he died. And? It's horrible because we're the ones here. He's having a great time. Think about it. Do you really believe that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? When the Christian dies, we graduate. We have a graduation service. I know we all get all dressed up, and I, it's all for other people. If you think about it, he's fine. She's fine. 
Paul told the believers, he said, listen, I'm, I want to leave. I want to depart and go be with Jesus. That's what he told them. Look, you guys, love all of you. Here's the deal. Paul tells them, I'd rather, I'd rather die than be here with you guys one more day. But he, sa- but, he says, but if for me to live on in this life is a benefit to y'all, then I'll stick around. Man, that's the attitude. Oh, we need an adjustment. Psalm 136, verse 1 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Amazing. It's also impossible for God to waver. Look at verse 18. And by two immutable things, which is amazing, how do you find two things that are unchangeable? Well, you can't. Because the Bible says there's only one God. Are you tracking? This means that God cannot make a deal with any human because that's not going to work. Humans aren't immutable. So if God is going to make a deal, he needs to find someone who is immutable also. This ought to just stumble tons of people right into the kingdom, especially my Jewish friends, because this is Old Testament. This is right out of the book of Genesis. God, who could not swear by no greater, had to swear by himself, with himself, because he's immutable. And that should cause you to get the answer to the Elohim of God. That El is God and Him is plural. The singular God, a singular plurality. How is that possible? But God is. God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. And so, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. There there it is. How do you know you're going to go to heaven? How do you know that God's going to take care of you? How do you know that it's all going to work out okay? Because God is immutable. He can't change what he has said he will do. And he says, listen, that you belong to him and you can have confidence. Consolation is the word deep comfort in that. James chapter 1 verse 5. James 1 5. I'm up against the clock. I'm going to go quick. James 1 5 says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Isn't that awesome? The church the church, we should be the wisest people in the county. No, seriously. Christians should be known for their wisdom. Why? Because we have access to him. Man, I don't know what to do about this. Ask God. He knows. Who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Can you imagine? God, I want wisdom. No. God, please, I need wisdom. Not for you. He doesn't do that. God, I need wisdom. All right, are you ready? Get your bucket out. Get it ready, because I'm going to throw it on you. He doesn't hold it back. He asks for wisdom. God goes, here it comes. I love that. Watch this. And it will be given to him, verse 6, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Don't waver. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Isn't that true? You ever seen a doubter? They're tormented. They're just, they just, ugh. It's so hard to live that way. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. Isn't that sad? Guys, I'm just talking to the guys here tonight. Man, guys, get alone with God. Get your marching orders from God. And and then get up and live out what God has told you to do. And stop being so frail about things. Don't go, oh, this, this, oh, oh, no, wait, what? No, I don't know. No, what's, what is that? Listen, I understand that if you don't know what you're doing. I understand that if you've got no direction. But when you go to his word and you wait upon him, he'll speak to you. Listen, if men, I'm just, I'm just beating up on you guys here right now. Guys, if we got alone with God and determined, I'm not leaving until I get something from God. Tomorrow morning, 
Set, set, set your alarm an hour earlier. Get up and say, God, I'm not, I'm not leaving. I mean, I'm going to go to work. I mean, I got to do that. But you got to speak to me, God. And don't listen, don't be surprised if he's silent for a few days to see if you're really into this. But expect him to speak. Be listening. But men, now this goes for everybody, but men, we, America needs men. Men who love God, men who fear God, men who got, get on their knees and cry out to God, and then God says, stand up and go this way. Stand up and do this. And listen, God will take care of the rest. The upside is this. James 1, verse 17 says, Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God does not waver. And then finally we end here, is the closing portion of this uh, is the fact that it's impossible for God to refuse you. To refuse. Now, don't confuse these words. Refuse. It's impossible for God to refuse you, meaning, implying that when you go to Him, He doesn't turn you away. Isn't that amazing? And you imagine in your mind, some of you may not have thought this, but you feel it that heaven is like this gigantic castle and there's a moat around it and the gate shut and you come up to it. And it's all closed and shut up to you. And you're trying to think, what is um, abracadabra, um, you know, hocus pocus? What's the key? What's the? How do I get this door open? <laughs> Jesus says, if you come to me, I will never turn you away. He says in verse 18, you have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. He'll never refuse you. And he's the refuge. He's the one where you can take... Listen, the Bible says that God, in his way to communicate to us, he says, I want to shelter you under the shadow of my wings. Jesus said to Jerusalem, oh, I longed to be with you like a hen gathers her little chicks together, but you would not, you were not willing. God says in the scriptures, I will bear you up on eagles' wings. Eagles do that, you know? It's crazy. It's springtime right now, and you can see the red-tailed hawks, and there's some golden eagles that live out here. And I don't know if you know this, but when they're mating, it's insane. They're they're very high. They make this incredible scream, and they hook together, and they're falling. They're just plummeting toward the earth, and they'll just go like this. And they rejoin. It's insane. It's amazing. The strength and the massive size of those things. And God says, I'll be those eagle wings to you. Exodus 33, we'll finish this off. We're okay. Exodus 33, 18. And he said, Moses said to God, please show me your glory. Isn't that precious? It's just Moses and it's just God on Mount, on Mount Sinai. And Moses says, he, he asked the, listen, that's your, is that not your request? God, just show me your glory. You got it. You got it. You got to give it to Moses. Apparently, when you see all the plagues that God sent, he, Moses watched it happen. When your staff turns into a snake, and then all of the Pharaoh's staffs they turn into snake, but then your snake eats their snakes, and it's like, well, that's that's awesome. When you lightning and thundering and you hear God's voice and all this stuff that's going on and you see all the, the, the death of the firstborn by the uh, angel of death on, on uh, believe it or not, it was Friday the 13th when it happened. Did you know that? That's why Friday the 13th is such a big deal to, uh, to weirdos. Is, <laughs> it's Friday the 13th. You ever think about why Friday the 13th is so bad? It's, so, it's not bad to the Jews. 
Did you ever think about that? Friday the 13th is awesome. Because when you read the book of Exodus, Friday the 13th, it was Friday, Friday the, it was the 13th of Nisan that the death angel went through Egypt and killed all the firstborn. It was a Friday. So then Friday the 13th. No, I mean, the Jews go, Friday the 13th. <laughs> and then it's amazing because when God led it, children of Israel out of Egypt... There's a direct correlation going back to when God opened the door for Noah and the ark. Moses says, show me your glory. All that stuff was amazing. I could care less. I'll submit to you tonight. If you saw all kinds of miracles, who cares? Seriously. I don't need them. I don't care. I want to see his glory. And then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he, but he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, this is to Moses, here is, the place, here is a place by me, and you shall stand in the rock, or on the rock. It's actually a crack in the rock. So it shall be that while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft or the crack of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. When God passed by Moses, he covered his face and then watch, he passes by Moses and then he lets by and Moses saw what the, the term is, afterglow. He saw the atmospheric disturbance of the presence of God when God moved by. And that's all that Moses was allowed to see. And that fried his face, by the way. Remember? Remember his face started glowing. He had to put a bag on his head when he went down to see the children of Israel because he, he didn't want to see the glory. The, he didn't want them to see the glory leave. Can you imagine? Is that Moses or who is that? Is that wild? Moses knew that his face was emanating. He was reflecting. The glory of God. So apparently when you see the glory of God, that glory is reflected in your life. That's why we need to make a call to all of us from this moment forward, church, devote more time to God in prayer. Devote more time to God in being just quiet. Just sit there. Devote more time to reading His Word. We need to get closer to him because we need to get closer to him. Father, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name that tonight we would decide to do that very thing this evening. Each and every one of us here, we occupy a certain concern, certain issues. Each of us represent that thing in our lives are things. We have sought to live a better life. That's not the answer. We've sought to do the right thing. That didn't do it. We sought religion. We may or may not have been bound up in a, a belief system whereby we can somehow reform ourselves. And that didn't work. But tonight, Lord, we come to you and... For some, perhaps, you're saying tonight, I want a new life. I want this life of faith. I don't want my life to be dependent upon a man, a movement, a denomination, a group, a church, a thing. I want my identity, my salvation, my assurance to be built upon the very person of God. Jesus Christ the eternal Son of God, King of kings and Lord of lords. And you would say to him tonight, Lord, come into my life and save me from my sins and wash away my shame, my guilt. Free me. And to those of you who are believers, for us, God is saying to us, it's time to get ready. It's time to pray. It's time to press into me. Lean in. Get closer quick. 
do that. Christian, tonight, tonight, ask God if he would keep this oath between himself for your life. Dear Lord, you would say, Christian, draw me closer into your presence, God. Pull me in. Cause my life to be transformed into your likeness more now than ever before. Your will be done in my life, Father. Whatever term you want to use, my friend, you, you tell God, rededicate, recommit. He doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to him as long as you do that thing. As we stand right now to close in this song, will you make this your prayer? Whatever song Gia is going to lead us in, make it your prayer of commitment and for some of you, recommitment. So church, let's stand together in Jesus' name. Let's give this to him.